You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumpacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, Buzz Broadway listeners. When we came to you two weeks ago with a short but serious message about Broadway bootlegs, We were grateful and privileged to think that that was as serious as we were going to have to get on the podcast. And when we came up with the concept of Buzz Broadway almost three months ago, it was to serve as a distraction from the COVID-19 pandemic that continues to plague the planet and keep us isolated. But now is not the time for distraction or isolation. The wrongful murder of George Floyd on May 25, 2020 is undeniably the most current example of the systemic racism that has plagued the United States for centuries. It has sent the world into protests and riots, calling for justice for black and brown people of color who have too long been at a dangerous disadvantage in our country. The deaths of George Floyd, Ahmed Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, etc. are not the problem in the U.S., They are the symptoms of police brutality, which is upheld by a culture of white supremacy in America. As a white-run podcast, we knew we needed to use our privilege to do something to take ownership of this issue. So where do we start? We want to continue bringing you new episodes, but how do we do so in a way that feels impactful? For the foreseeable future, Buzz Broadway will come to you uninterrupted and ad-free. At the beginning of each episode, We will highlight organizations and charities committed to fighting for civil rights. Each week, the link to donate along with information about the organization will be posted on our Instagram. We encourage you to research their cause and donate your money or your time. Then take a short break and listen to our episode. But we must then get back to fighting for change and equality in the United States of America. This week, we're pleased to highlight Campaign Zero, a comprehensive platform of research-based policy solutions to end police brutality in America. Their agenda has outlined 10 specific policies that have effectively reduced police shootings and police violence in places that have implemented them. Campaign Zero's proposed policies range from limiting use of force policing to the demilitarization of the criminal justice system. They're calling for a dramatic increase in training for officers, and higher representation for underrepresented communities in police forces. You can follow links on our Instagram page for more information on Campaign Zero, or visit their website directly at joincampaignzero.org. That's joincampaignzero.org. Once there, you can donate to their organization, demand action from your state's representatives, or sign up to get involved. Thank you so much to all of you for listening to this message. Stay safe. Stay healthy, and remember that Black Lives Matter. On with the show. Welcome to the Buzz Broadway Podcast. I'm Amanda Harrington. And I'm Sam St. Jean. Each week, with the help of cast albums, film adaptations, and our own memories, we reminisce and relive some of our favorite Broadway musicals. Come listen to two besties booze their way down the great white way on on Buzz Broadway. Broadway. When you're lost and alone and you feel like you need a little lift. When the times are tough and your day has gone adrift. You can always press play on Buzzed Broadway. We've got the laughs. Or when you're blue. Buzzed Broadway. Just pour a drink. I need your shoe. So just press play today. I'm ready too. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Sam. We are back. How are you? I'm great. I'm warm. Glad to hear it. 
yeah, it's a it's a it's a toasty night for April here in New England. I I had wine, that's why I'm warm. <laughs> I am currently kicking back with a Negroni, one of my usual. You haven't had that yet. Do you think have? our listeners have fu- Have you had that yet? I think I have. Maybe I haven't. Maybe I've only had a Boulevardier. Who have you become? Listen, I love a good cocktail. And I figured if I'm going to be stuck at home, I want to be able to make the cocktails that I like to drink. You're so right. Meanwhile, I'm still running down the street getting a $5 bottle of white wine. At the Packy, right? What? What right? is a Packy? A Packy? You live in Boston. You have to know what a Packy is now. The Packy is I the liquor have... store. Oh. That's what they call the Packy. I didn't know that. Smart Pack. <laughs> Smart Pack. There you go. Speaking of, uh, speaking of living, uh... I can't come up with a good segue. Amanda, what musical are we talking about tonight? <laughs> Speaking of gross I was, cities. I was trying let's to say talk yeah, about skid, skid Row. Exactly. I was trying to come up with a, a little Skid Row segue there. Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop little of shop Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors. This ranks, we were talking about this before we started recording. This this ranks pretty high on my musical list. Same girl. Same. I would say it's within top five for me. I think so too. Have you done the show more than I've, once or just the one time we did it? No. Just the one time, but I've seen it a lot. It's like a very typical high school show, so I feel like I've seen it a lot, so I know a lot more about it. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. it's one of my it's one of my most beloved. I think we should waste no more time. Let's get right into it. What do you say? Tell me about it. Well, here is what Music Theater International has to say <gasps> about Oh, we're switching up the game. We're switching it up. Yeah, Little Shop is not licensed by Concord Theatricals. They're licensed by good old classic high school licensing company, Music Theater International. They advertise Little Shop as the following. A deviously delicious Broadway and Hollywood sci-fi smash musical, Little Shop of Horrors, Little Shop of Horrors, has devoured the hearts of theater goers for 30 years. Howard Ashman and Alan Menken are the creative geniuses behind what has become one of the most popular shows in the world. The meek floral assistant Seymour Krelborn stumbles across a new breed of plant he names Audrey II, after his co-worker Crush. This foul-mouthed R&B-singing carnivore promises unending fame and fortune to the down-and-out Krelborn as long as he keeps feeding it blood. Over time, though, Seymour discovers Audrey II's out-of-this-world origins and intent towards global domination. One of the longest-running off-Broadway shows, Little Shop of Horrors, the charmingly tongue-in-cheek comedy has been produced worldwide to incredible success. MTI has a lot more to say than Concord Coach, whatever it's called. Concord Coach. That's the bus I take. For those of you who are not New Englanders, Concord Coach is a very popular bus line that runs throughout New Hampshire <laughs> what's, and Massachusetts. What's the licensing company called? Concord Theatricals. I was so close. I also wanted to add that uh, this musical comedy is loosely based on the low-budget 1960 black comedy B-movie, The Little Shop of Horrors, which famously features a young Jack Nicholson. What? Yes, Jack Nicholson. I just, I just watched it. The B-movie. He plays the patient at the dentist's office. I need to go back. <laughs> I'm shook. Uh, Good. The 1960 movie? Yeah. Okay. Anyways. You don't believe me? I totally believe you. I just, how dumb was I to not notice that when I was watching it the other day? <laughs> I'm mad. Great. Well, well, you know, he's a master of disguise, that man. Don't it go to show. You never know. Well. You never know. <laughs> that was so good. How many times can I incorporate that? I don't know. Let's keep, let's, let's find out. Well, don't it go to show Howard Ashman was born May 17th, 1950. He chose Mencken to write the music for their first musical. God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. It was off Broadway. Uh, their second show together was Little Shop where Howard Ashman was the lyricist, librettist, and director. You're going to get into Little Shop, like the logistics a little bit later. So I'll let you do that. But of course. I'll tell you more about these guys. Ashman and Macon were chosen for The Little Mermaid after Little Shop, which was Disney's first fairy tale in 30 years. And it started what was called the Disney Renaissance. Do you know anything about the Disney Renaissance? Of course I know about the Disney Renaissance. Did you not? No, I had no idea. Oh, yeah. I mean, this you knew the, the movies. You just it. didn't know that they fell under like a category. 
Yeah, I didn't know it was like an era. Yeah. Okay, well, in case there's anybody out there like me who had no idea, let me tell you about <laughs> it. It was from like 1989 to 1999, and the whole point of it was they were back to making commercially successful animated films, mostly based on true stories, just as Walt Disney had done in the earlier years. Um, it was like... And it's like all the really good movies that we all rewatch, like Aladdin, a lot a lot of the ones that Howard Ashman and Alan Menken did. Um, what I like about Ashman is when he cast his Disney movies, he focused on casting actors with strong musical theater backgrounds. Because mm. he thought that was important. I would have to agree. It is. He died from AIDS in 1991. So Beauty and the Beast uh, was released after his death, but it was dedicated to him. And actually, while he was working, I think, on Beauty and the Beast, he, he was the one who pitched the idea for Disney to do Aladdin. Uh, but he died pretty early, so they only used three songs of his. Alan Menken. Alan Menken, who wrote basically everything that we all know and love. Exactly. Born, right? He was born July 22nd, 1949. Fun fact, his father was a dentist. Well, here we go. Full circle for Menken. Wait, right? He is segueing us perfectly. He grew up thinking he'd either be a dentist or a singer-songwriter. He wrote so much music for so many good movies. Pocahontas, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, Enchanted, one of the most underrated Disney films in the world. Tangled, interestingly enough, he composed the music to Sausage Party. He did indeed. Because why not? Some famous shows he did were... Like the ones that got transferred to Broadway, like Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. He also wrote the music to Sister Act. Great music, I think. And Newsies. Together, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman have two Oscars, two Golden Globes, four Grammys, and one Emmy Award. They did some pretty cool stuff together. It's wild when you look at their contribution to music and musical films and musical comedy. It is truly so stacked. In terms of, like, what they have given Especially the world. considering... And Ashman died when he was 41. Can you imagine what we would have now if he hadn't passed away? Right? It would be... It's what we always say about Unreal. Mozart. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I think is really interesting about the two of them, Amanda, is that they have such a brand. Like, when you listen to Mencken-Ashman music, it is, like... Almost instantly like, recognizable. You know. Like, you think, like, oh, like, yep. Sondheim, that's someone with, like, a signature sound. Like... But I feel like people don't talk about it enough that, that when you hear a Mencken song, it's it's so, like, it's just a... It, and it's, I think because we... I think the reason we don't recognize it instantly is because it is so foundationally built into the, like, entertainment culture of our country. Yeah. He has written music for literally everything. Yeah. Everything. He's so... It's, it's wild. He wrote an arrangement of the Star Spangled Banner for the first Captain America movie. Like... It's nuts. For everything. Why not? <laughs> so yeah this show hit new york in 1982 it sort of was the catalyst it was sort of like the the crowning glory of the off off broadway movement i don't even know what that is so for a long time new york had had broadway and they had had off broadway off broadway meant smaller theaters smaller houses usually smaller shows off off broadway was like like it was like what indie films are to the film industry. It was like we're gonna do this kind of alternative thing. The first like off off Broadway theater was actually a coffee shop. Like it wasn't even really a theater, cool. so that's just kind of like where it was all headed. Okay, that's like a good example of of kind of what off off Broadway was like. So Little Shop of Horrors ran for one month at the workshop of the Players Art Foundation in 1982. Howard Ashman was actually an artistic director at uh, the WPA, is what they call oh, it. Oh, cool. He was an artistic director there for some time. And this organization debuted a lot of very noticeable works for up-and-coming playwrights. People like Larry Kramer, um, Jason Robert Brown, productions of Steel Magnolias, The Lady in Question, and Songs for a New World were all debuted through the workshop of the Players Art Foundation. Hmm. So they really had kind of a signature type of show that they were debuting and obviously those shows went on to pretty great success 
So the, the off-off-Broadway production, about a month after they closed, moved off-Broadway to the Orpheum Theater in the East Village. And that was July of 1982, so really only a couple months after they had opened um, with WPA. It hits off-Broadway in the, the, the summer of 1982, and it runs for five years, which is unheard of for a Broadway right. show at that time. right. The other Broadway show that it had been competing with was The Fantastics, obviously, for a long off-Broadway run. Is Fantastics still going? Fantastics closed, I want to say, I can't give an exact number, but no. it closed several years ago. Ugh. It did. It was at the Jerry Orbach, which is like right outside of Times Square. This is a little bit further away. Okay. Another great show. Down in the East Village. So the off-Broadway production garners excellent acclaim. They earned an Outer Critics Circle Award. A Drama Desk Award, which are two big hitters for off-Broadway shows. A Broadway transfer was proposed, but Howard Ashman actually declined and said the show is exactly where it belongs. Which right. I think is really special. And it's a real testament to what this show is. I think so, too. Because I think, and I think we probably know from the audience, it seems so silly still, even though we're five episodes into this podcast, to talk about audience reaction for a high school production. But it's what we are gauging it off of. But I remember the audience being really involved in our show. And I think it was because, we'll talk about this later, our show was so intimate. We roped off, like, only 50 seats at a time. Like, we only ever sat, like, 100 people per performance of this show, which was, like, a third of our high school theater. And we built out the stage. Exactly. So I think the show really does benefit from an intimate audience. I do want to forewarn you now. I do have a lot to talk about in these... uh, notable productions because there are a lot of really great productions of this show that have happened over time okay audience hold on to your seats grab, <sighs> grab your cocktail your hats, hold your hat and hang on to your soul grab your bottle something's of coming to eat the world whole and it's my opinions category. <laughs> did you catch that little shop lyric in there yeah i got it thank you it was almost as good as mine so <laughs> now it's just going to be a competition. I think so. For trying to fit references into this, this episode. Well, you're about to talk for like 10 minutes, so I can think of so many. I'll make it quick. Don't worry. Um, so a production transfers to the West End very quickly by none other than Cam McIntosh. He was already in the midst of the British invasion of the 80s uh, of British of British theater coming to the U.S. So he was taking uh, American theater and bringing it to the U.K., The production in the West End runs for just shy of two years. A few years later, Warner Brothers decides to pick up the film and make it the movie adaptation starring Rick Moranis, Ellen Green, and Steve Martin. Hell yeah! This movie famously featured a happy ending where Audrey 2 is electrocuted and Seymour and Audrey live happily ever after. They did film the ending that is more accurate to the stage production, but it it was not well received by test audiences. Well, they're stupid... (laughs) <laughs> that really bugs me. I agree. That have you ever seen the filmed ending? The original, like the, the filmed actual? ending, the filmed ending that's true to the to the stage version. No, I have not. I didn't even know that. It's all in black and white. It's really nice. They sing "Don't Feed the Plants." Um, Frank Oz. I actually didn't realize this until recently. Frank Oz directed this movie, which yeah. I didn't uh, really, which I didn't never knew. Um, That's why it's good. Frank Oz, obviously. And for those of you who might not know, is the um, essentially the co-founder of the Henson Company. Along with Jim Henson, he is probably like every other Muppet character that is not Jim Henson. Frank Oz is in Knives Out. I just watched that movie. He is so great. Yep. I love Frank Oz so much. Jack of all trades. So cut to about almost 30 years later, and we get a 2003 tryout of Little Shop of Horrors with the intent to transfer this Florida production to Broadway. This production features Hunter Foster as Seymour Krelborn, Alice Ripley as Audrey, and Billy Porter as the voice of Audrey too. It wasn't Carrie Butler? Not in the 2003 tryout. Here's where it gets Sorry. nice. Here's where, the pl- here's where the plot thickens. Okay. So original Muppeteer Martin P. Johnson, who designed, built, and operated the original off-Broadway puppets from the 80s, is rehired and enlists the help of the entire Henson Foundation to help develop new puppets for this production. Oh. So for those of you who might have seen the 2003 production of Little Shop of Horrors, those puppets were out of this world. Like the original because... one or the when they fixed it? Like. <laughs> so Martin P., so he did the production, he did the 2003 tryout. Uh, Martin Robinson from the from the Muppets. Okay. He created the original puppets for the original original production, yeah. and in two thousand three, he was rehired. Oh, I see. To make to make new puppets for the show. Okay. So they 
you get to the finale of that 2003 production with that enormous, enormous Audrey 2 puppet that flies out over the audience. It was really, they took that, um, they took the entire production really and scaled it up for a big Broadway houses because they knew that they wanted to transfer this Florida production up to New York. Mm-hmm. This scale, however, garners a lot of criticism um, by reviewers and theater critics saying that the show really loses its sense, of in- its sense of intimacy that it originally had. It was performed in small houses for small audiences and producers and critics were worried that it was going to take away from the special thing that the show had going on. So two months into the run in Florida, the Broadway production is announced to be canceled entirely. Mm. However, two weeks later, famous Broadway director Jerry Zachs swoops in and is announced as the new director. He fires the entire cast with the exception of Hunter Foster. Shut up. <laughs> in October of the same year, the production opens on Broadway with Hunter Foster as Seymour Krelborn, Carrie Butler as Audrey, Douglas Sills as Oren Scrivello et al., Michael Leon Woolley as the voice of the plant, and Dakina Moore as Chiffon. Later that year... He fired Billy Porter? <laughs> he did fire Billy Porter, in fact. He did. I bet Billy Porter was great. Well, Billy Porter might get his redemption. You'll find out more about that in a little bit. In 2020? We'll find out. So despite never having run previously on Broadway, the 2003 production was nominated for the 2004 Tonys in the revival categories due to the fact that it had already garnered such great acclaim in previous years. So much like Hedwig and the Angry Inch, there are several shows that had never had Broadway productions before a very prominent Broadway production came out, but the show had already garnered a lot of success. So they have to classify it as a revival. So just kind of skimming through these next exciting productions, we get a 2006 West End revival starring British sensation Sheridan Smith and a totally reconceived Audrey II puppet. It's got this really cool flat top lid. It looks almost like a really big green trash can. We get the famous 2005 Encores concert production with Jake Gyllenhaal, Taryn Killam as the dentist, and Ellen Green returning to the stage as Audrey. I've seen clips from this concert production. <laughs> it is absolutely wild. It's so much it fun. Is. I watched 2000- the whole thing today. It's good, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I love the dynamic of having a young... I love the dynamic of having a young Seymour and a much older Audrey. I think that makes their Me relationship too. really interesting. Yeah. 2018, Regent's Open Air Park uh, debuts a production of Little Shop of Horrors with a drag queen, American drag queen Vicky Vox as Audrey 2. Some really, really great and exciting concept uh, conceptualizations for that production. Recently, we've had a 2019 off-Broadway revival starring Jonathan Groff, Tammy Blanchard, and Christian Borrell. Gideon Glick replaced Jonathan Groff, and Jeremy Jordan was scheduled to take over, but has not yet assumed the role due to the coronavirus pandemic. Okay, so I have to, I have to interrupt you for a second because Please. I'm literally doing research, watching it all, whatever, and I'm like, why has Jeremy Jordan never played Seymour? He would just be so perfect for this role. And then I did research and was like, did I predict the future? He booked it. This happened. This happened when I was like, why isn't there a female Bobby in Company? And then it happened. <laughs> so I. Th- Think? Uh, you have to befriend some producers in New York. Yeah, because I think I would be pretty good at it. But <laughs> I would love to see Jeremy Jordan. Now, I want to say this in the least biased way possible. Jeremy Jordan actually received, uh, in the in the casting of the 2019 revival, received a lot of flack for casting people like Jeremy Jordan, Jonathan Groff, because they feel that Seymour should be played by an actor who is not so traditionally handsome. I say I don't disagree. I don't take that or leave it. I want to leave the cards on the table and say that I plead the fifth. I have nothing to say about the topic, except that he Why? he he did receive. I just don't. You don't want to talk about it. You can talk about it. What do you think? It's not so much the handsome thing. Like for me, I have a lot of opinions. Of, there are certain shows that I feel very particular about how certain characters are cast, and it's very. It's not a lot of people, but I feel very strongly about The Witch in Into the Woods, Seymour in Little Shop, Belle in Beauty and the Beast. Like, those are just roles that I feel like need to be perfectly played. Mm. And to me, Seymour should not be a perfect singer. I think Seymour needs, I really feel like Seymour needs to have like an edge or just like something to him. And to be honest, that's 
I listened to the 2019 recording with Jonathan Groff, Mm -hmm. and it really pulled me out of it because he sounds so pretty. And I hate listening to a pretty Seymour because Seymour isn't pretty. I understand that. I understand where you're coming from. Like, the looks to me don't really matter because you can do something. Like, Jake Gyllenhaal's beautiful, but they made him very scruffy. So, Mm -hmm. like, that's, that's one thing, but his voice isn't perfect, and I thought that was great. Rick Moranis' voice is just so Seymour. So, I just have really strong opinions about how they... I've seen a lot of Little Shop productions where the guys who play Seymour try to sound so pretty. Mm. And I'm like, that's not the purpose of your role, so please stop. Interesting vantage point. I liked hearing that from you, Miss Harrington. Anytime, Mr. Dillon. All right, I've only got a couple left on this production layout. I want to talk for a little bit about... Probably one of my favorite productions of this show, which I didn't even get to see, but it's the 2019 Pasadena Playhouse production, starring George Salazar as Seymour Krelborn, MJ Rodriguez as Audrey, which I think is one of the most brilliant casting choices of the last 60 years. It is so, she is so well cast in this role, and I can just tell from that one clip from the James Corden show. Yeah, yeah. Also, Amber Riley as the voice of Audrey 2. What more could you ask for? Thank you. <laughs> Finally. Uh, Kevin Chamberlain as Mr. Mushnick, another great choice. And Matt Wilkes as Oren, which I think is another really strong casting choice. He's sexy. They've sort of put the white characters in power in this version. And they put the characters of color in the less um, powerful roles. You have the character of Seymour wow, who, that's who, earns this, who earns this great power throughout the course of the show. And um, and then obviously you have Amber Riley as the voice of the plant and she's obviously a woman of color um, who is probably the most powerful character in the show. Yeah. But the casting of a trans woman of color as Audrey is just it just adds so many layers into her story. When I watched that video for the first time I was standing on a subway platform in New, in New York And when she says the words, learn how to be more the girl that's inside me, that like the stacking of the layers of what that means for a trans woman of color playing the role of Audrey. And even if she played it not, even if, even if MJ is a trans woman who is playing her role as a cis woman, that's like allowed. Right. You know what I mean? Like if she was just, if she was just playing Audrey as a woman, like that's, that's great. And I hope that maybe she did that. But if even if she didn't, and you don't know, or maybe she, maybe Audrey is ambiguous. Maybe you're not supposed to know if she's trans or if she's cis. But it still just adds such a great layer to the role. The something like the things that a trans woman can bring to a role versus a cis woman, like it just it's it's like turning the whole role one eighty. It's such and and she yeah. played her. So you can tell from that video, she's so like strong and not weak she's just at odds with the community she's been placed in and also george salazar is a non-white seymour is just like he's such a dreamboat to me i think he's so lovely i just wish i wish i could go back in time and fly to california and see this production because it looked i wish there so were unbelievable. i wish there were more videos of it so we could see i excuse me no same thing with the even the 2019 last but not least there is a planned feature film again from warner brothers set to hit our movie screen sometime between 2021 and 2022. A lot of rumors have been flying about who might be in the show. They're considering Scarlett Johansson for the role of Audrey, possibly Lady Gaga for the role of Audrey. And the only piece of the cast that they have officially solidified is Billy Porter as the voice of the plant. So Billy Porter can get his redemption from the 2003 tryout. (laughs) All I right. did see that. That's why I was confused. I talked for so long about all these productions, but you can do so many different things with this show, which is part of why I love it. You can do the traditional, but even something that that, that did the traditional, like the 2019 production uh, in New York, totally took the character of Audrey and spun her on her head. She's normally got a very high-pitched voice. She's blonde. This version, yeah. she's tall and leggy and curvy, and she's got brunette hair, and she's got a deep voice. Like uh, It's Tammy Blanchard. Uh, so yeah, you can really mm-hmm. do so much with this show, and I think that that's why it's garnered. I think that's why it's earned so much acclaim throughout the last almost forty. I love years a now. curvy Audrey. I had a curvy Audrey when I played Seymour. She had she had yeah. very very curvy hips. She was very that's she's like a, a pinup body. Not to talk too much about her body, but that's awesome. So let's talk about how we 
re-experienced it in our initial reactions. You know, you just... What did you do? You go first. Me? Okay, so... Yeah. I texted you this. I was like, oh, I can't wait to watch the 1986 movie. And so I go to put it on, <laughs> and I'm like, what is this? Oh, I'm watching the OG 1960 film. And then I was like, well, I'm here. And I just want to watch the whole thing. And it's wild. Have you watched it? I watched it in high school. We all watched it in high school. I don't remember watching the movie in high school, but I rewatched it now. Very interesting. I really liked the character who came back in, or who came in every day and ate the carnations and put salt on them. Mm. Interesting choice. So that's what I did. Then I watched 1986 movie, watched the encore, like as much clips as I could. Because I also just love getting a chance to watch Jake Gyllenhaal perform. Because he's actually pretty great. And then I listened to... I always listen to the original cast. To the 1982 cast. I did too, which I hadn't really listened to before. No? I love it. That's the only one I listened to. So when we did the show, I listened a lot to the 2003. When I did the show again in last year, I listened to the 2003 a lot. Okay. I had never really given the... OBC a, a chance when I had listened and I listened to it in prep for this and it it, it slaps it does I have I, more to talk about later in terms of specifics but it is really good well what I love about it is I love all the original arrangements like I appreciate the different arrangements that have come into play in all the different productions but I really really do love the original arrangements like with the urchins and the OG harmonies like it I keeps the show really small cool. it keeps it intimate you're yeah. right so you're absolutely right. My initial reaction is a plus. Absolutely, I that's ex- literally almost exactly what I have. This show is so beloved, and despite being like kind of technically advanced, it really is simple. It's a simple it's, conceit. Yeah, like it really is not so far fetched, and it 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 just keeps the show relatable, even though it's about an alien plant that tries to take over the world. The show's relatable. We've all had to make decisions about what's going to be good for ourselves or what's going to be good for the people we love or what's going to be good for our future. And we've all had to make compromises. And that's really what I think the show is about. It's definitely a specific type of humor, too. Like, I I know a lot of people who have gone to see it and are like, I don't think this is funny. And I'm like, you have to enjoy, like, the satiric point of it all. It's based on a vivid movie. I have a vivid memory of being in high school and our director saying... If you go to the front of the script, it says that this show has to be played, even though the characters are wild and crazy and wacky, the show has to be played so earnestly so that the jokes land. It's like, if there's no heart to this very uh, strange show, everything starts to fall apart. So you have to go back to the simplicity of it and play the sincerity of the simplicity. That's so accurate. And you can take that right to the bank. Is that a quote? Not from the show. Oh, just from life. You're right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Let's get into some random facts. I have some things that I want to talk about. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. Number one, the first thing I want to talk about, me as Orange Scrivello DDS. Why are we already hitting there? That's a personal story. <laughs> That's my potpourri. <laughs> That's my potpourri for this episode. Why did that happen? Honestly, Sam, I was dyeing my hair last night black, and all I could think about was you in that tiny bathroom in our high school dyeing your hair black. <laughs> to be more Orange Scrivello. I did. You know, I think the other, we'll talk about this more when we get to personal things, but we really put this show together fast. We always did in the summer. 
We put it together like in two weeks. And also, we put the show together. That was we like, did. We all that talked about cast, that more. That was like a cast bonding. Show. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add about me playing Orange Cavallo at the age of sixteen? Um, there's a really great picture of us somewhere. Um, there are. Maybe we'll share it on our Instagram. Yeah, I look really skinny, so we should definitely share this. <laughs> um, I look. I thought um, you were geniusly scary. cast. I think I just, like, like thought at, at 16 that I was going to play Seymour, and I was, like, so ready to play Seymour, and then I didn't get it, and I was like, oh, this is weird. I do remember getting a lot of laughs, which I felt good about. I remember th- I remember the audience thinking I was funny. Yeah, Oren Scrivello is actually, like, as many opinions as I have about Seymour, I think Oren's my favorite character in the show. So It is really nice. I will say that I am still bitter about not playing all of the other roles, even though it was a really oh, small yeah. summer, we for some reason didn't we for some reason didn't double cast the I, the yeah, roles we that, had an all the other roles that Oren gets to play. Um, so I was better about not getting to do that because that's the stuff that I do like really well, you know. Yeah, that comedic. So I remember I remember being bitter about that. All right, next 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 bullet point on this potpourri section. I want you to tell the trash can story. <laughs> We're just jumping ahead, aren't we? <laughs> This this is all my potpourri. This is a personal thing. And we'll get to more personal things in a bit. Okay, I'll tell the story. (laughs) I don't remember who it was. Oh, it was Nate Walton, right? Who? Exactly. It was a wonderful... And he's great. We're still friends. He helped me move into my apartment this year. I Um, have his painting hanging on my wall. What? And we shouted him out in our last episode, so maybe he we did. He's becoming a regular. Yes, <laughs> that would be great. He has to sing the he has to sing the bottle song, and then he can go. Bottle, oh mother of God. <laughs> okay. So this was yet another one of Sam's famous pre-show. Oh, this wasn't my idea. This was this was fully Tina's idea. Oh really? Okay, so mm-hmm. Tina was our choreographer slash co-director, and she wanted us to do pre-show stuff again, and we had an ensemble in this show. Who played all the roles that Sam wanted to play? Um, but so it was the hobos, the the homeless yeah. people outside of the the florist shop. So they're the ones who did it, and all I remember, and we, I was an urchin, we were the ushers, so right? We seated people, which there's no assigned seats in our theater, so I don't really know what we were doing. But <laughs> I just remember looking over, and Nate is holding a trash can above someone and threatening to throw it at him. And then he did throw it. Oh, he did? He okay. threw it, and it made a loud, loud bang. <laughs> it's just like what happens if you let two crazy kids in high school just make shit up before the show. Nothing good could possibly happen. No, it was really just for our benefit to play. We had a fun time. You weren't you weren't in it, were you? I no, was you... I laid on the ground. Oh my I god. I never did remember? anything. I literally just laid on the ground for, for twenty minutes. My favorite was Eric Schaff, who slept in a chair in the middle of a row he and did stayed do that. there through the whole like opening number and then he got up in the middle of Skid Row. <laughs> that was it's wild. It's the little things we All have. Right. My last piece of potpourri is the famous How to Upstage with Vocal Riffs. Are you just going to talk about Have everybody? you seen this video? No. So I don't know what production this is from. If you're listening, if you're listening and you know what this is from, please enlighten me. This is from some production of Little Shop of Horrors somewhere. And the video is called How to Upstage with Vocal Riffs. And it is the end of the show. It is it is the three street urchins singing Don't Feed the Plant at the beginning. And here is just how it goes down. I'm going to vomit. So it is very clearly done for comedic purposes. Like the audience is laughing, but I just have no idea where it comes from <laughs> at all. It is, this video has, uh, I don't, it definitely has more than 130,000 views. It definitely has more than that, but it is meanwhile, one of the funniest things that I've ever heard in my entire life. Meanwhile, when <laughs> I played that role, I would go, ah, just sweetness. I'm 90% <laughs> You absolutely did. For those of you who don't know, because I don't even think, you just said you were an urchin. You did play Crystal. 
Yeah. More specifically. Sam played Orin, obviously. And Seymour in a later production, but I wasn't in that one, so it's less important. Oh, good, 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 good. Glad to hear it. <laughs> Even though you had a bigger role and it was professional, but whatever. <laughs> well, it barely. Really we'll talk about, we, don't, we won't really get into barely, but it was barely professional. Anyway. If you're listening and you're involved in that production, I loved it. Okay? That's all I have to say. Let's move on. <laughs> Great. Next category. We're gonna let's hit up our nominees for all of our new categories. Sounds great. I can't wait. Okay, so let's we'll start with musical moments. Three. I only have two nominations for musical moments. Do you have three? That's okay. I do have three. It's because you're amazing. You want me to go first? Yes, please. Okay, one of my favorites. The classic. We'll have tomorrow. Just we'll have tomorrow from the finale. Just we'll have tomorrow. Yeah. It's beautiful. I think it's great. I think it's a really nice You know, accent. You know We'll Have Tomorrow, right? The song? No. We'll Have Tomorrow is actually a song that Alan Menken and Howard Ashman wrote that was go- that, go- that goes in act two. You know the scene where Seymour's like alone with the plant? Audrey's like, what are you doing? And she's like, you have a gun. Yeah. That whole scene. Yeah. So there was a song that was originally in that scene called We'll Have Tomorrow where he's like, I'm going to take you away from this place. Like, we're going to have like a, a picket fence and, and, and 2.5 children. He's like telling her, he's like painting her the picture of like what their life's going to be like when they leave Skid Row. And it's a song called We'll Have Tomorrow. You can listen to a preview of it on the 2003 cast recording sung by Alan Menken or Howard Ashman himself. I don't remember who sings it. One of them sings Definitely it. Definitely yeah, we'll have tomorrow. Howard Ashman because he died in 1991. Well, no, it's a it's a recording from the '80s of them demoing the songs. Oh, cool! Yeah. Well, I love it even more now. But the one that actually I really Amazing. really love is anytime the urchins sing "Come on, Come on" in supper time. Ooh, that's it's a good one. so chilling, and it's, yeah. it's also like I feel like anytime we do these musical moments, I'm very biased. Like I just really felt those "Come ons, Come on." It's beautiful. It's per- it perfectly sets the mood for what that scene should feel like. It is so creepy. Those are my two. I'm anxious to hear yours, though. All right. Mine actually all come from different um, moments, or different different cast recordings. Mine are all from oh, three different... Oh, specific. Exactly. So okay. my number one, and they're not ranked. This is in no particular order. My first is Hunter Foster doing Seymour's Skid Row Crescendo. Uh, someone tell me a seal can get out of here, blah, 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 blah. That whole section of Skid Row for Seymour is beautiful. It builds so nicely into Audrey singing it with him and Carrie Butler's voice is so amazing on that cast album. Um, so that's my first. Ellen Green's okay. last 60 seconds of Suddenly Seymour from the original Broadway cast recording. I used to be a diehard mm. Carrie Butler Audrey fan, but after re-listening to this Broadway ca- original Broadway cast recording... I really was sold on yeah. Ellen Green's performance as Audrey. She, she just, like, is she Audrey. She created that character, yeah. I mean, literally, that's basically so it's, all she's done. So it's her, it's her last 60 seconds of Suddenly Seymour that really sell me. And then finally, the title song from the film. I think the film absolutely nails what Little Shop of Horrors should sound like in that opening. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to yeah. it today, and it just perfectly articulates everything that I want from that opening number. Honestly, anything the urchins do in that, in their stunning three-part harmonies. They're, they're unbelievable. You know what I hate? What do you Have hate? you ever seen a production where they cast, like, six urchins? Oh, I have no time or place for any more than three urchins. Nope. Anytime there are three, anytime there was a unit of three in theater, we'll talk about this in a later episode. We did a production of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, and instead of three Proteans, they had six. Yeah. Anytime there's a unit of three in theater, it's three for a reason, and it's usually for comedic purposes that there's three people. That. So don't fuck with that. Don't mess with that. If there's three of them, I'm make it three of them. I'm so glad that we didn't add more urchins. I think it's smart. So between between your three, which one's your fave? Oh, I don't know. Probably the probably the film version of Little Shop of Horrors, the title song. That's probably my number one. How about, about you? we give best... How- Mine's the come on, come on in supper time. So how about we just give... Oh, this is musical moments. moments. Why did I pick a whole song? I I didn't want to say anything. You definitely failed. I wish you had said something. I'm so sorry. No, I wanted you to fail, so... Thank you. You you win by default (laughs) because I screwed it up. Oh my god, I win? 
I you was do. just gonna say all musical moments go to the urchins. Great, that sounds good. We we could we can agree on that. Okay, now we're gonna get into best number. Did you, did you choose I'm ready. songs? Okay. I did. I did. One of them is not a production number, but it's okay. Okay. Why don't you go first this time? All right. Finale. The finale of Little Shop of Horrors is one of my favorite finales. Don't feed the damn plants. Don't feed them. And that 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 statement also just has such a stacked meaning. Like it can really, it can literally mean don't feed the plants. It can it can mean don't feed into your ego. Don't feed into the desires of fame and fortune or what society puts pressure on you for. It can mean don't vote for Donald Trump. Can you not vote for Donald Trump? Oh my god, a production of Little Shop of Horrors where the plant is voiced by a Donald Trump impersonator. <laughs> it's gonna be huge. <laughs> it's gonna be huge. It's gonna, Seymour, we're gonna have great plants. We're gonna have great plants, okay? <laughs> you suck. No one's ever gonna have... No one's ever gonna have a better plant than my plant. Oh my god. I will grow bigger. <laughs> I can't really do a good Donald. Oh, uh, you just did an amazing Donald. That was incredible. <laughs> uh, so the finale, I would say specifically, I know that the I know that the Broadway production got flack for going so big with it, but there is nothing like seeing that giant plant crane over the first few rows of the audience. Yikes. And they had two puppeteers that puppeteered the vines, like they were like just huge human bodies. It was it's 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 like awe-striking yeah it's incredible um it's not a production number but i just have to say somewhere that's green is probably one of alan menken's best songs it's great. that he's ever written in the and it's, howard ashman's like those it's lyrics part of your, are genius it's part of your world oh it's part of your yeah. world like it's literally it's so touching and and humorous in the right places and heartbreaking in the right places you know what's great it's too so howard ashman and um, Alan Menken songs, like you just compared those two, but none of their songs really sound the same. Like they do, I feel like they sound like the composers. They have a brand, but they don't sound the same. You're, you're exactly right. Right, like I don't feel And like, considering... Like anytime I listen to Stephen Schwartz, it, like it all it has the same exact form and I feel like... Well, the opening of, the opening of Magic to Do and the opening of Wicked are the same exact thing. Yeah. Like I just really appreciate Do you know that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and considering too, they write so many. They they write their best songs are "I Want" songs. Mm. Their best songs are "Part of Your World," uh, "Just Around the River Bend," "Out There," "Somewhere That's Green," and those are all "I Want" songs. And you would think that if the composer writes the same "I Want" song over and over and over again, it's going to start to sound the same. But they write from a character standpoint. They write based around what their character is wanting out of that yeah. story that they're about to tell. Yeah. And I think that's their success, is that they write for the character, not for the show, or for themselves. That's great. Like any good composer. For sure. Um, finally, probably the most underrated show song in the show, The Meek Shall Inherit. I love it. I love it. It's a great song. I feel like it's underrated. It's a really nice dark moment of, of Act 2. You don't really know what's going to happen. You don't really know what the urchins are there for, or what purpose. That's the, that's the turning point as to what their purpose is in the story. Yeah. I agree. Again... Lay it on me. What are your favorite numbers? Hit me. Um, I'll start with the finales. Also one of mine. Great. It also just stems from being in it and singing that song is just a very powerful feeling. Because, and being yeah. in the audience, because it's another song where the audience is involved and I love audience involvement as I have expressed before. And where you live, I'm like, oh, shit, I'm gonna die. Like, great, I'm glad I'm a part of the show. <laughs> so. Well, it's, it's an allegory for the fact that the trials and tribulations of this show are apparent i mean we're a country founded in capitalism yeah i really think this show's about and that's where seymour meets his downfall i i'm shook i think this show is about our current we're gonna have huge plans. political standpoint okay um second <laughs> one is skid row like obviously mm. one of the biggest numbers in the show but and i'll talk about more of this later but i just i vividly remember performing skid row Almost more than any other song than I did in high school. I just very vividly remember performing Skid Row because it's such, it introduces everybody and it's just so big. I love that. And then my third one is Dentist. Because like I said, Orange Carvello <laughs> is one of my favorite characters. The urchins are in it. It's funny. It has everything you want. The reveal of him being the dentist is freaking hilarious. 
Because mm, the audience is right. like, what is he going to, what is he? He's some kind of masochist but, or whatever, but like, what is he? And he's like, I'm a dentist. I think she calls him a doctor. She does. I think, but you I don't think find out until in the song. show, she refers to him as a doctor, but you don't find out specifically that what kind of doctor he is until he zips, unzips his jacket. Exactly. You're absolutely right. And it's an amazing realization. I saw I love that. So I guess our winner's finale, because we both said that. Like if I think it has to be. I think it has to be. we agree. It's a great finale. It is, although if For you... For the first time ever. I don't know if you see if you watch the Encore finale. I understand what they tried to do. They had a back screen and showed like a bunch of facts about the show. Like, this many performances were done. Like, well, they didn't do anything mm. acting-wise in the finale, which I didn't like. Mm-hmm. They just stood there and sang it while they showed like facts in the back. And that really bugged me. I get it. But because I love the film. Because it was just a concert production. Right. They had their music in front of them. Right. Right. Shall we move on to the Edwina Spoonapple Acting Award? My favorite category, the Edwina Spoonapple <laughs> Acting Award. If this is your first time listening to Buzzed Broadway, Dear Edwina was the first musical that Amanda and I ever did together. And so we aptly named an award after the title character, Edwina Spoonapple. All right. <laughs> I only have one real nominee for this category, and the other acting award nominee is somebody who we cannot talk about. <laughs> so my first nominee is Ellen Green's film acting. <laughs> Her acting in the film is so good. For me... Okay, so, like, here's an allegory. I don't know, if Amanda, if you will understand what I'm talking about here, but maybe some of our listeners will. Casting Jackie Hoffman in Hairspray brought the John Waters vibe to that Broadway production. Having her and Harvey Firestein, who really understand the John Waters thing, is what made the Hairspray musical Hairspray. Putting Ellen Green in the movie took all the best parts from the stage production and brought them into the movie. It was like dropping like a tea bag into the movie that like infused the film with the essence of the original production. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what her casting in the film did for me. It brought all of the best parts of the musical to the stage, uh, of the musical to the film. I think without her, the film really falls apart. I don't, I don't love Rick Moranis as Seymour. He's a great actor, but he can't sing and act at the same time. He can act. But for me, the acting and the singing at the same time, I, he, he, he kind of falls short for me. Wow. I so disagree with you there. (laughs) That's Okay. All Let right, me who are your you. acting award nominees? No, is one listen. of yours Rick Moranis? Yeah, it sure fucking is. Let me hate you with five. <laughs> Rick Moranis is Seymour. I think he is the epitome of Seymour. I just think, you're right. His singing, while he's acting, isn't great. Because that's who Seymour is. Seymour isn't great. Seymour is average. And I love that about him. I think he's so nerdy and lovable. And especially how he acts with Ellen Green. She's just so tall and... And I feel like that works so well with him. So, you're wrong. We disagree. Thanks for coming. I like his acting. I just feel like he struggles at acting and singing at the same time. Well, in the movie, he was lip syncing. So, I don't understand what you're saying. (laughs) Do you have any other nominees? Or is it it only Rick Moranis? Two Oren Scrivellos on my nominee list. Steve Martin. I better not be one of them. You are not. I love you. Okay, good. But Steve Martin. Great. Comedic. Terry Killam is your number two. Genius. Okay, just because you fucking know what I'm going to say. <laughs> doesn't mean you need to. I know you love him from from watching SNL with you for years. Or have you watched him on New Girl? No, I haven't. I don't watch New Girl. Okay, there's a clip you need to watch where, where a cop. I know you love New Girl. A cop says. I need, like, she's doing, like, a sobriety test on him, and she's like, I need you to prepare to break dance, but not actually break dance. So for, like, three minutes, he's, like, like, pumping people up, a.k.a. nobody, and <laughs> so good. I'm sending you the clip. Anyways. Please. Please do. Sarah, yeah, so Taryn If you Cullen, watch New Girl, comment. It, you guys get it. It's just genius. So Taryn Killam is one of my favorites, too. <clears throat> but I'm not gonna lie to you, my nominee is Rick Moranis. That's okay. That's allowed. Mine is Ellen Green. So I guess that works. It's also funny that you picked Steve Martin because I love Steve Martin, but I do not like him in this role. You want... What? That's what I have to say. For me, for me, Oren has to be... 
equal parts funny and menacing. You don't think and I he's don't any get of that? the menacing part out of Steve Martin. I get the funny parts. Steve Martin's hilarious. I in this get part. the menacing part totally. But I never, he is scary. Oh, I don't. I don't feel that he is scary. I am always like, that's just Steve Martin in a black wig. He's not wearing a wig. He dyed his hair. No, oh, did he? I don't know. You did. <laughs> I just assumed. All right. Any honorable mentions for you, Miss Harrington? Oh, I had one actually. Oh, I was going to say just the urchins in every production. They just have a special place in my heart. I understand that. Mine is MJ Rodriguez from the 2019 Pasadena Playhouse. I get that. I have watched that YouTube video of them singing Suddenly Seymour probably over a hundred times in the last year. She is just unreal. Yeah. I watched it. I watched it once. So we're, we're even. (laughs) Who wins this show for you, Amanda? Who wins Little Shop of Horrors every time you leave the theater? Who are you thinking about? This isn't going to surprise anybody as I've spoken about on this podcast thus far. Any actor who plays Orin, I think wins the show. Because it, interesting. Because every time I've seen a production too, like in a high school or post high school, like Orange Scarvella brings the comedy in and also the darkness. I just love it. Like I saw it at Dairyfield Repertory Theater where you and I used to perform together, and Zach Spiegel, shout out, stole the show playing Orin. Like it was just. It's just any time I see it. Is beautiful. And also... Did they do it after DRT? After we did DRT or before? After. It was the... DRT did Little Shop? Yeah, it was the year after Children of Eden. Really? Yes. I have no recollection of that. I went to go see it. I'm glad you liked it. Next up. My standout is Audrey. She is a perfectly crafted musical theater character... Her songs are perfect indication of who she is as a person, what she wants from the world. Her storyline makes this show the tragedy that it is. Without Audrey, there is no real tragedy to this story. Um, and I just think she's an absolute. Did you say there's no real tragedy character. to the story? If she's not in it. Oh, you're right. I was like, Sam, she dies. There is tragedy. <laughs> no, I said she brings... She brings the tragedy to the story. She is what makes... Because you can, like... I think I think the show works... What? <laughs> putting on your chapstick. Me stumbling over my words. I'm not putting on chapstick. Um, I am, for those of you listening. What do you mean for those you of you listening? Like the only people listening are listening. For those of you who are listening. For people who are listening on the other side of... Anyway, moving on. Audrey wins the show for me. Amanda, let's talk a little bit about why we love the show so much and what it means to us from having done it. We've kind of already talked about it. (laughs) Do we need to really get into it? So I did the show. We did the show in 2009. You played Crystal. I played Orin Scrivello DDS. DDS. I also played Skip Snip. No, not Skip Snip. No, but the guy is... Oh, no, wait. That was I've got a truck waiting outside. If you don't mind, we'll start taking cuttings right now. Is that at the end? That's who I played. Yeah. This was the last show in high school that we had to get our own costumes for. That's what I remember very vividly. I remember shopping with you and with the other girls who played the uh, origins. I like helped costume. costume, costume, costume I love the pictures of me in the show. Everybody go look on our Instagram. My legs look so good. I wore teeny shorts and character shoes. 15-year-old Amanda saluting <laughs> it up on the stage. I, I had wore my boys Pepe's, text me after. I wore my Pepe's leather jacket. He worked at Smith & Wesson. And you dyed your hair. That's all I have to say. And I dyed my hair black. No, we had a very... This was like a very... Um, this was like a late summer musical. Usually in high school we would do our summer musicals in July. Yeah. This year we did it in August. We took like a long break. And two weeks before we opened, we all got together. Everybody in the cast got like assigned a a number that we had to stage. Yes. I thought that was interesting. Uh, Our choreographer really viewed it as like, she was like, I really want this to be a a building point for you all. I want you to all get education from doing this this summer. So you're all going to choreograph your own numbers. I remember being pissed 
You were mad? <laughs> I remember being pissed. Okay, why were you mad? Because she assigned me suddenly Seymour with somebody else. And we had to choreograph it together. I'm like, cool, stand on one side of the stage and then, like, cross. Like, I was just like, can, can, I, can I have a harder song? But, okay, but as I was saying earlier, like, I literally can still, you did Skid Row, and I talked about this in an earlier podcast. I remember that one so well because I was like, shit, Sam is talented because this is, like, a show-stopping number. Thank you. I've never choreographed since. Don't get ahead of yourself. Nor do I ever plan to. <laughs> you know what's funny? I choreographed musicals. You did. Why am I not? Famous? Oh wait, I choreographed in in at DRT, didn't I? Oh yeah, 101 Dalmatians Junior, right? We choreographed Reese, Recess the Musical. Together. Oh my god, we did do that show together. Yeah, we just were in like a weird place in our lives where we like needed a group of people to associate with. Yeah. And this entire cast of like. 13 people, 14 people just were inseparable for yep. like four weeks. That's what I love about summer shows in summer stock is you create a family for like two months. Right. I love that. I love that about when we did Dairy Field. We, well, I mean, we didn't have a choice because sure. we worked 16 hour days. But <laughs> I loved that. Like every time we did a summer show, but Little Shop specifically. You're so right. I remember something happened. We were 15, 16, and there were also older people. There were like 19, 20 year olds who yeah. were on the show with us as well. I remember everybody got together for the 4th of July and went to the beach. And I was with my family and I was like, Mom, I can't I can't hang out with you at the beach. I need to go be at my cast. And we had like an mm. awesome day. We still there's still so many pictures. There are. That was a great day. There's like a really nice picture of us also getting the plant off the truck. Correct. We, when we got the plant shipped to us. Yeah, you're right. Because we got those we plants. We were just together nonstop for like three weeks. Yeah. We went to like people's houses and played games. Yeah, we were we always did. together. It, it was, was a it really was a, good time. It was a good summer. A great summer. Um, I also have done the show one more time since. I did the show with a small professional theater in Massachusetts. I played Seymour. It was a, a fun highlight of my professional career. Um, I got to, I got to lead a company in college, but I hadn't gotten to lead a company professionally yet. So to get to kind of be at the helm of that show was, was really fun. Um, I had a great director. I did the show with some good friends. So it was, it was fun to, and it was, it was a intimate house. It probably sat 300 people. So it was fun to do the show in an intimate setting with an audience who really appreciated it. Um, How long did it, it was run fun for? getting to do Seymour again. It ran for uh, just two weeks. It was eight performances. But it was a good time. We'll share pictures. I'll share pictures on the Instagram. Okay. I didn't see it, but I'm sure it was really good. <clears throat> Amanda, the year is 2020. Oh, okay. You auditioned for the role of Little Shop. You auditioned for the role. <laughs> you auditioned for the show <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors. Who are you hoping to play? Um, Hobo number two. Hobo number two, really? Yeah. I would not play any other role. I could not play Audrey. <laughs> I could not play an urchin. I... Like now, not in twenty twenty. No, 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 no. So I would definitely just be an ensemble member, which is fine. Ideally, I would love to get to play Seymour again, but I know that my days are numbered and that I am only careening towards a career of playing Mister Mushnick for the rest of my life. Hold on, what are you talking about? So you are not getting nearly too old for Seymour. Well, I know that I know that my days as Seymour are numbered. Is what Why? I'm saying. Because I only have another about 20 years to play Seymour. That's a long time. <laughs> My days are numbered. That's and people, 20 and years. People who will actually con- and people who will actually consider me for it. You know what I mean? I was very kind of non-traditional Seymour. In the I think that I, that's great. That I did it. Thank I'm you. sorry, but if you can have a curvy Audrey. You can have a curvy Seymour. If that's, oh, that's what they call me. Curvy Seymour. Mm, that's my AIM handle. <laughs> You had AIM, right? No, it's 2020. No, but you did. Oh, yeah. I had like 10 screen names. Did we ever talk on AIM? I don't know. My screen name was Acting For Me. Only for you? Acting For Me. Like only for you. What? Acting For Me. Like I act for me. Oh, sure. I hate you. 
<laughs> All right. I think that brings us to a great stopping point. <laughs> the Little Shop of Horrors is one of the most beloved musicals in American musical theater. And I think, I hope that by the end of this episode, you know why. The story is relatable. The characters are fun and easy to connect with. What are your final thoughts? Is the story relatable? I think so. Not not specifically, but um, pining say. for someone else, feeling like the you're metaphors. not good enough. Yeah. The metaphors, exactly. We didn't talk at all about Mushnik. No, because he sucks. Like, we didn't talk at all about Mushnik and his relationship. <laughs> okay. Because he's the worst character in the show, that's why. And I'm only going to have to play him for 40 years. You think... You don't have to, Sam. You don't have to audition for Mushnik. I will someday, and I'll be fucking great. All right, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Pour yourself another cocktail. Throw a cast album on your CD player. Put Honestly, it in your thank you so much for listening. We love you guys. Also, send us a message if you've been in this show before. Tell us what role you played. Tell us what you love about the show. DM us on Instagram. Share us pictures. Maybe yeah, we'll post it on Yeah, that would be story. awesome. I want to hear from anybody who's listening. Especially if you've been on the show. I think that would be really cool. Do it. DM us. Slide into the DMs. Yeah. I know. Audrey too. I know it's intimidating because we're really famous now, but Stop. I think it's okay. You can do it. <laughs> this episode's over. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. If you like what you heard on today's episode, be sure to leave us a rating and review. Want to support Buzzed Broadway? Head to Anchor.fm to learn more. If you need more Buzzed Broadway shenanigans in your life, follow us on Instagram at, at @BuzzedBroadwayPodcast. Buzz Broadway is conceived and hosted by Amanda Harrington and Sam St. Jean. Editing by Amanda Harrington. Original music by Carl Poliso with musical arrangements by Patrick Doro. As always, thank you to our sponsors, to Anchor, and to you, our listeners. See you next time. You're a maniac. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists. What they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.